Good morning. Glad to have you join us today. We are in John chapter 9, and um, I'm calling this today Strike Three for Jesus, meaning three times that he healed on the Sabbath and uh, struck out with the Pharisees. (laughs) Um, Yesterday, um, well, the first time, yeah, I'm not on the screen. In John chapter 5, we see him at the pool of Bethesda. There was a lame man there. It was during the feast of Passover, and Jesus healed the lame man. Remember, he'd been there for 38 years. And in 5.18, it says, For this cause, therefore, the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him, because he not only was breaking the Sabbath, but also was calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. As you go through the scriptures, that's actually strike two. There's one before that that we'll we'll reference. So then yesterday, Rick taught us um, at the beginning of of John chapter 9 about the healing of a blind man where Jesus used his own spit, mixed it with dirt, and put the the clay or the mud on the man's eyes, and the man born, born blind saw again. He This was a working of a miracle because Jesus did this activity. He didn't just say be healed, but Jesus moved and then he told the man to move. Go and wash in the pool of Siloam. And because he went and washed, because he he moved in faith and obedience, he received a miracle. And um, after after this happens, they ask the man, "Who, who did this? And he said, I don't know. And where is he? And he said, I don't know. And so you're thinking, oh, good. Jesus isn't going to get persecuted by the Pharisees for this. He got away, right? But they went after the man. (laughs) They decided they would persecute him for being healed. So it it is a long story, but I'd like us to get through it today because it doesn't really make sense to stop right in the middle. So let's see if we can get through the whole story of of this man and what happens to him after he has just received this amazing working of a miracle. And the Pharisees can't find Jesus to persecute, so they turn on him. So I'm going to start with verse 13. They brought to the Pharisees him who was formerly blind. Now it was a Sabbath on the day when Jesus made the clay and opened his eyes. Again, therefore, the Pharisees were asking him how he received his sight. And he said to them, He applied clay to my eyes, and I washed, and I see. This is the second time the man has explained what happened to him. He has to keep explaining over and over, answering the same questions. Um, Verse 16, Therefore some of the Pharisees were saying, This man is not from God, because he does not keep the Sabbath. But others were saying, How can a man who is a sinner perform such signs? And there was a division among them. So they're saying that he does not keep the Sabbath. What, what, what actually was breaking the law that Jesus did? Um, apparently, they considered making the clay was doing work. He was working, right? So um, in, in, back in the miracle in John 5, when he told the man to pick up his mat and walk, They called that breaking the Sabbath because they said it was unlawful for him to carry his mat on the Sabbath. Now, now these kinds of things aren't in the law. They are not in the 613 laws of Moses. These are all interpretations, regulations that are man-made. 
man-made by the, the Jewish leaders, by the Pharisees, and, and by the lawyers who worked loopholes in there so that they could do the things they wanted to do, but they could then judge other people for, for doing things. So it, it's all a system that we call religion. This is religion. It serves those who make it up. It is really not for the service and worship and glorification of God. Religion, religiosity, serves those who make it up. And religion is used to judge, to put others down. Even some religions are used to kill others. If you think about jihad in in the religion of Islam, it is used to justify the killing of people. Um, And it always causes division. You see these guys there, they're unified in coming after Jesus or coming after someone who's experienced a miracle, but they're still always arguing amongst themselves about what's exactly the right way to handle things. So when you, just, when you see this, how Jesus has done this wonderful thing and this man is filled with joy and he's a new man and they come after him, you have to say religion is not merely just being blind. Religion isn't merely being lost or wrong. It's, it's evil. It is evil. Because it is always of God. It is always lawful to do good, to save a life. And that's what Jesus is doing on these Sabbaths. He's, he's serving his Father and he's doing good and he's saving a life. And yet, evil religion will come and try to kill him for it. Um, the first strike, I said this, there were three strikes, so I've told you about two, the man at the pool of Bethesda, then this man. The first one was in Luke 6, 1 through 11, and you've got that, John. That's strike number one. <clears throat> All right, Luke 6, 1 through 11, and it came to pass on the second Sabbath after the first that he went through the cornfields, And his disciples plucked the ears of corns and did eat, rubbing them in their hands. And certain of the Pharisees said unto them, Why do you that which is not lawful to do on the Sabbath? And Jesus answering them said, Have you not read so much as this, what David did when himself was hungry, and they which were with him? How he went into the house of God, and did take and eat the showbread, and gave also to them who were with him, which is not lawful to eat, but for the priests alone. And he said unto them that the Son of Man is Lord also of the Sabbath. And it came to pass also on another Sabbath that he entered into the synagogue and taught. And there was a man whose right hand was withered. And the scribes and Pharisees watched him, whether he would heal on the Sabbath day, that they might find an accusation against him. But he knew their thoughts and said to the man which had the withered hand, Rise up and stand forth in the midst. And he arose and stood forth. Then said Jesus unto them, I will ask you one thing. Is it lawful on the Sabbath days to do good or to do evil, to save life or to destroy it? And looking round about upon them all, he said unto the man, Stretch forth your hand. And he did so. And his hand was restored whole as the other. And they were filled with madness and communed one with another what they might do to Jesus. (laughs) Okay, so that was strike one. Where he healed the man with the withered hand on the Sabbath. Oh. Jesus, how could you think of such a thing? Okay, Rick, I think you have John 5, 16 and 7. Oh, no, 
Who's got John 5? Cindy does. 16 and 17. So because Jesus was doing these things on the Sabbath, the Jews persecuted him. Jesus said to them, My father is always at his works to this very day, and I too am working. Yep. So he says, my father is always working. We've been listening to a song. He's always working. He's always working. Even when you don't feel it, he's working. God doesn't take a Sabbath from doing good. He's always working. 24-7, right? And Jesus says, I'm doing what my father does. So, um, So getting back to the... To the story here of the man, we're at verse 17. They said, therefore, to the blind man again, What do you say about him since he opened your eyes? And he said, He is a prophet. Now, back in verse 11, when he told the story the first time, because they keep questioning him and then re interrogating him, in verse 11, he said, The man who is called Jesus made clay. Now he says he is a prophet. As we go to finish the story in verse 33, he will say he is from God. And then in verse 38, he will actually worship Jesus. He will actually worship him as Lord. He will call him Lord and worship him. All while he's being piled on by the Pharisees, he is getting more and more revelation. He is growing in his faith, even in the midst of all of this evil and hatred and pressure and being piled on. He's, his eyes have not just been restored to see physically, but he's seeing spiritually. This is a man. He's a prophet. Later, he says he's from God. And finally, he says he's the Lord and he worships him. Um, so, But when they are saying this, what do you say about him? Um, I looked at several commentaries about that, and, and it, it is, we don't know exactly what was in their minds or their hearts there, but it seems like what they are implying here. What do you say about this man who would do something so vile as to heal on the Sabbath? They are, they are implying that he does it by the power of demons. They are evil, and when you th- whatever you think about all day long is what you will become. And so since all they did was think evil thoughts all day long, they look at someone else and say, well, you must be doing this because of evil, through evil. Whatever you're concentrating on, that's, that's what your mindset will be towards others. So they're implying he did this by the power of demons. Well, since Jesus did everything by the power and the leading of the Holy Spirit, even something so countercultural as healing on the Sabbath. He did it by the Holy Spirit, and they imply that he did it by demons. They are blaspheming the Holy Spirit, aren't they? They are actually calling something done by the Holy Spirit something done by a demon, which is blasphemy. So these guys are in a really dark, bad, evil place. So let's continue. Verse 18, The Jews therefore did not believe it of him, that he had been blind and had received sight until they called the parents of the very one who had received his sight. How'd they know who his parents were? That was a small town. Jerusalem was a small town in those days, so I guess they were able to track him down, his family, and questioned them, saying, Is this your son who you say was born blind? 
then how does he now see? So the third time they're asking, how did this happen? His parents answered them and said, we know that this is our son and that he was born blind. But how he now sees, we do not know. Or who opened his eyes, we do not know. Ask him. He is of age. He shall speak for himself. His parents said this because they were afraid of the Jews. For the Jews had already agreed that if anyone should confess him to be the Christ or the anointed one, he should be put out of the synagogue. So because they are so afraid of excommunication, and it is a big deal. The synagogue is the center of, of life. It's, the social, it's their social circle. It's their social ties. It's their community. But they, they realize they're going to be persecuted too. And so they wimped out, didn't they? They did not stand behind their son and affirm the wonderful thing God had done in his life, but they preserved themselves. So that's, that's, that's another sad aspect of this story. But I'm just so impressed with this man that even though his parents rejected him and didn't stand with him, and even though the Pharisees are just harassing him for having been the recipient of a miracle, he's just growing and growing in confidence and faith. I'm just impressed with him. Um, So what about his parents persecuting him or rejecting him? And what about the Pharisees? I have a question for you. When God does something radical in your life, let's say you go on a Brazil mission trip and you, God just encounters you there. You go, you pray for people at the altar in a, in a church in Brazil and you see the Holy Spirit move and it just completely changes the whole trajectory of your faith. Is it common, is it expected that you, you might come home and be persecuted for that? Kathy's nodding. You have anything to say, Kathy? Uh, Give her the microphone. See, we've seen this lots. We've seen this many times. Yes, that's what I was going to say is we do see it sometimes. And sometimes we hear back from people and they come home, they want to talk about it, and people just don't react the way that they expect them to. Right. People come home and they're changed. And their family and friends say, what happened to you? What did they do to you down there in Brazil? Have you joined a cult? You know, we've, we've gotten lots of responses that it just doesn't go over very well when someone has just been radically blessed by God, been set free, been changed. And that's because this is warfare, okay? Satan hates glory being given to God. Satan hates a transformed life. Satan hates a testimony of who Jesus Christ is and what he did in my life. And so he will, he will persecute someone who has received, just been a, a recipient of God's goodness. Um, and he frequently, sadly, uses religion. I mean, like, that doesn't sound like God. That doesn't sound scriptural. That doesn't fit with the beliefs that you're supposed to stay, the box you're supposed to stay with in your religious box. And so they will reject the work of the Holy Spirit in someone's life. And that is to be expected. And we try to warn people about that. If you come on one of our trips or even if you come to rekindle the flame, people have had wonderful testimonies of how God met them there. You can't expect when you go back home to your your parents um, 
or to your religious leaders that they won't understand. And this is biblical. I mean, this is to be expected, so don't feel bad if that has happened to you. Rejoice. You're in, you're in a good, good company. The religion of man will always persecute the kingdom. And yet, it seems like we're, all, we're so surprised when it happens. But we shouldn't be. Right? Okay, so let's, like I said, this is long, but I want to finish the story. It doesn't make sense to stop in the middle. Betty. Yeah, uh, please. So the, so the news to this man was so overwhelming that, uh, that it, it, it really took the Pharisees by surprise. His testimony was powerful. Yes. And uh, I want you to know that uh, since the pandemic started, mm-hmm. our teaching over here in the office, the Netherlands, uh, Philippines, Pakistan, Nigeria, Russian Federation, Canada, Slovakia, Italy, Germany, uh, uh, in April, 44 people uh, got together with Bible study and began. France, 48 people in, in May, the 4th. 48 people in the month of May. Uh, United Kingdom, 64 people contacted this website. Israel, 73 people in March. China, 347. Bless you. So, 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 so. The news is spreading too. Yeah. God is doing something. God is doing something. Just like He's doing with this man that was born blind. The Lord is just using every single opportunity. He sure is. Amplified this John 9 and, and, and go now to see that in Brazil there's 970, 17 people on May the 4th. Watching. Watching. Watching our Bible study. Praise God. Praise God for that. So in verse 24, for a second time, a second time, they called the man who had been blind and said to him, Give glory to God. We know this man is a sinner. What? Give glory to God. I had to look that up, do a little research. Basically, it's based on Joshua 7.19, which is, they're saying it's the equivalent of, Swearing to tell the truth, like I swear to God. I swear to God. It would be the closest thing in in our current. So they're saying, swear to God. We know this man is a sinner. He therefore answered them, "Um, whether he is a sinner, I do not know. One thing I do know, that whereas I was blind, now I see. They said, therefore, to him, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? Third time, they've asked the same question. So he answered them, I told you already, and you did not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? (laughs) You do not want to become his disciples too, do you? I'm just loving this man more and more. He uses even a little sarcasm. Oh, are you asking so many times because you want to become his disciples? The thing is, he has been a blind beggar, and he is not intimidated. He just keeps pointing back to the miracle. I don't know how it happened. 
I don't know everything about him, but this I know. I was blind, now I see. God has done something wonderful. They've asked him three times. And if you look at the contrast between these people, the Pharisees, and him, they hold the prestige, don't they, in the society. They hold position. They have the power. They have the learning. They actually have the authority to destroy people's lives. They're at the top of the heap. But they are blind and lost and evil. This man has had a true encounter with the Lord Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit. And he's not going to let himself be robbed of it. He is not going to let it take his joy and his confidence that this is real. God touched me and this is this is all I know. I don't know everything about everything. But I know this. This man touched me and I can see now. Uh, so if you are being persecuted because your faith just seems to be too strong because you're just so sure of what you know God has done for you or who he is in your life. Um, you're being persecuted because you are free in the Holy Spirit because you believe this word literally and you take it literally and you apply it. You're just too radical. The Bible says consider yourself blessed. This man is actually being blessed. He's being persecuted for for righteousness. And that's your scripture, uh, Rick. Matt, Matthew 5, yeah, 10 through 12. Yes. Matthew 5, 10, 10. It says, Blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when men shall revile you and persecute you and shall say all manner of evil against you, Falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven. For so persecuted they the prophets which were before you. Amen. And when you read that, you think, oh, that's hard to do. How, how can I be rejoice and be glad when I'm being persecuted? But we see a man here doing that, don't we? He is just confident and he's just like, I don't know. All I know is I can see. So even though they keep on heaping evil on him, he is rejoicing, he is glad, he is confident, and he's growing minute by minute in his faith. And I'm just, I'm just impressed with that. He's a good example to us. So going on, verse 28, And they reviled him and said, You are his disciple. You are his disciple, but we are disciples of Moses. We know that God has spoken to Moses, but as for this man, we do not know where he is from. Well, it's not true that they're disciples of Moses. If they were true disciples of Moses, they would know, they would recognize the Messiah because Moses wrote things that pointed to the Messiah. Um, or they, if they were, let's even give them the benefit of the doubt. If they were true disciples of Moses, they would at least be teachable. They would be searching for truth. And they... They don't care a bit about the truth. They have their own version of the truth. So verse 30, the man answered and said to them, and again, just his chutzpah just, just blesses me. Well, here is an amazing thing that you do not know where he is from, and yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not hear sinners, but if anyone is God-fearing and does his will, he hears him. 
Since the beginning of time, it has never been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a person born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. <laughs> Listen to his, his confidence, his testimony there. He's the blind beggar, the lowest of society. And he's the one who has wisdom and understanding of the principles of God and of God himself. Um, these guys are so proud and so evil. They are the highest of society. But the way he speaks to them with such confidence just blesses me. And what, do they, well, what is their response to him instead of being convicted that he's speaking truth and wisdom? Their response in verse 34, they answered and said to him, you were born entirely in sins, and are you teaching us? And they put him out. They excommunicated him from the synagogue now simply because he has received a miracle and he knows that God is to be glorified for it. Notice he says he was born in sin. Yeah, that's what they told him. You were born entirely in sin. They reviled him. They told him he was evil for having received a miracle and then testifying to it. This is what religion does. Um, you know what Jesus' assessment of this kind of behavior, did I give Mark 9.42? Yeah. Yeah, what did, what did Jesus say in Mark 9:42? Whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him if a great millstone were hung around his neck and he were thrown into the sea. Yes, when he says, if anyone hurts one of these little ones, I don't think, I don't think Jesus was only talking about children, although he was talking about children. He was talking about people of low degree, people who are humble, who are poor, who are marginalized, who are underprivileged, uh, uneducated. Well, this man is certainly, he's a little one. He was the lowest of society. He's blind, he's a beggar. And what Jesus said, anyone who harms one of these little ones, who has faith in me, it's better that a millstone be put around their neck and drowned. So that's Jesus' judgment upon this religious behavior. We don't need to have any questions about, about that. So it's a warning to us. Be careful. Be careful because you never know, pastor, Bible teacher, leader, who God may want to use to speak to you. It might be one of the little ones, one of the people that society thinks nothing of, may have a word from God, a testimony for you. Don't be a Pharisee, Betty. Be teachable. I'm preaching to myself. God uses the strangest people. You know? God uses flawed people. God uses weak people. God uses beggars. And so we need to be we need to be teachable and and unlike just the very opposite of these guys. Okay, so I'm going to quickly finish the last six verses here. Verse 35. Jesus heard that they had put him out and finding him he said, do you believe in the Son of Man? Jesus knows he's been through the ringer, and he seeks him out. I believe to comfort him, but also to finish the miracle, to bring him completely to salvation. So Jesus, you know, he never does anything by accident. The Holy Spirit must have led Jesus to step out of the picture for a while. Let this man take all the pressure the piling on of this evil because Jesus knew it was going to actually seal in him 
something, a, a faith that couldn't be deterred. So then Jesus comes back, finds him, and finishes the miracle. Healing, guys, is never an end unto itself. Jesus healed a, a man who was suffering. He was blind. And, and healing is the goodness of God, and it is the mercy of God. But the main purpose why God heals is to give a witness, a testimony to who God is, to bring conviction and repentance and salvation. Healing has a greater purpose than just alleviating someone's suffering. It is always to show who God is and hopefully bring many to salvation. So here Jesus comes to finish that process in the man's life. He's healed him physically. Now he wants him completely healed and saved spiritually. Verse 36, he answered and said, And who is he, Lord, that I may believe in him? Jesus said to him, You have both seen him, and he is the one who is talking with you now. And he said, Lord, I believe. And he worshipped him. And Jesus said, For judgment I came into this world, that those who do not see may see, and that those who see may become blind. There he's talking spiritually. Those of the Pharisees who were with him heard these things and said to him, We are not blind too, are we? (laughs) Jesus said to them, If you were blind, you would have no sin. But since you say, We see, your sin remains. Okay. Jesus says, If you were blind, you would have no sin. Well, we know Romans 3.10 says, There is none righteous. We know Romans 3.23 says, All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So he's not saying... You have no sin. But if you see that there is none righteous, if you see you've fallen short of the glory of God, if you're just slightly convicted of it and and admitting it, that's where spiritual sight begins, right? And these guys can't even begin to see it or admit that they have any sin. So therefore, they have no spiritual sight. So don't just be like the man. Don't worry that you don't know everything, that you don't understand everything. At first, he was saying, I don't even know who he is. All I know is he touched me. But little by little, he grows into understanding who he is until he finally says, you're the Lord, and he worships him. We all have blind areas. So as God's working in your life, don't worry that you don't know, you don't understand it all and have it all figured out. Just, you know, admit it. Lord, there's so much I don't know, and I get it wrong a lot. But Jesus said in verse 39, that's why I came into this world. (laughs) To help you see, um, to help those who do not, who cannot see, that they may see. So I'm going to end with a prayer. Lord, thank you for putting this story in, in your word. And thank you for this man. And my prayer today, Lord, is I want to be more like this man obedient, growing in faith, rejoicing even in persecution, and boldly standing for you and for the gospel. Lord, I pray for myself, I pray for us as a ministry, and I pray for everybody listening, that you will open our spiritual eyes to know you more and more, because that is an even greater miracle than the physical work. And that's what our hearts desire, is to know you more and more. Thank you, Lord, for your precious word and what it has spoken to us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.
see you tomorrow. Thanks for tuning in. Visit com for more teachings. See you next time. Thanks for tuning in. Visit www.laterrain.com 